The opinions expressed in the following episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Minds of Madness podcast. Listener discretion is advised. In the spring of 2019, an expectant teen mother living in Chicago, Illinois, was eagerly preparing for the birth of her second child. Although money was tight, Marlena Choa Yurio Stegui Lopez was determined to have her baby's nursery ready in time before she delivered. That's when she started searching for gently used baby items online. Little did she realize, all of her preparations and anticipation was about to come to a horrifying end. Join me now as we take a look into the plight of a young mother thankful for the charity offered by another, only to discover the frightful reality of wolves hiding in sheep's clothing. On November 16, 1999, it was a warm day in San Luis de la Loma, Mexico, when the Ochoa family welcomed the birth of their first daughter, Marlene. Her mother Raquel and father Arnolfo raised Marlene and their three other children in a humble house on the coast. The family were content living in their tropical seaside home, adorned by beautiful silky sand beaches and warm summer night breezes. But life was also difficult. Besides being known for its production of mangoes and coconuts, San Luis de la Loma is also known for its underground production and trafficking of opium gum, leading to the region's nickname, Gum San Luis. With the threat of drugs, violence, and poverty, Raquel and Arnolfo made the difficult decision to pack up their family and head north to the United States, leaving their extended family behind. Marlene was only two years old when the family settled in Chicago, Illinois, finding a home located in the deep southwest side of the region. When Marlene got older, she was put in charge of taking care of her younger siblings, helping them dress and escorting them to and from school. Along with being extremely responsible, Marlene was also smart and passionate about life, excelling in her studies. Between caring for her younger siblings, Marlene would often daydream about what career she wanted after finishing high school, her sights set on becoming either a singer or a fashion designer. Though the family initially struggled after first arriving in the United States, Marlene's parents were determined to set their children up for success. But as the family worked hard to establish themselves, Raquel and Arnolfo's marriage began to fall apart, and eventually they separated. The switch to living in America had been difficult on all of them, and a strong family connection had become vital, making it important to maintain strong ties with family back home in Mexico. Midway through high school, Marlene met a young man named Giovanni Lopez, and you could say it was love at first sight. Just before turning 16, Marlene became pregnant with her first baby with Giovanni. After giving birth to their son Joshua, 
Giovanni and Marlene began planning for their future together, setting aside money for a wedding. In 2016, Giovanni and Marlene married, and by the time Joshua turned three, Marlene excitedly announced she was expecting again. Although Marlene was an exceptional mother, it was becoming harder and harder for her to balance looking after her siblings and a toddler while being pregnant and keeping on top of all of her studies. As well, she and Giovanni didn't have the funds to buy all the necessary clothing and baby equipment needed to properly care for two young children. As it was, they'd already struggled preparing for Joshua's birth, but that wasn't about to discourage Marlene. Instead, she joined a Facebook group for pregnant mothers in hopes of finding secondhand baby items. By that point, Marlene was a little over seven months pregnant and was hopeful the new virtual community would be able to help her out. After posting she was in need of baby clothes and a double stroller, she was pleasantly surprised when she got a response. Clarissa Figueroa responded by saying she had a bunch of items Marlene could have, but asked if they could message in private. Clarissa explained that her daughter, who was also pregnant, had received an unexpectedly large amount of baby gifts, including plenty of clothes, as well as a double stroller. Marlene was beyond thrilled and agreed to meet the woman at her southwest side home on April 1st. When Marlene arrived, Clarissa, who was an older, heavyset woman, invited her in. Once they sat down, Clarissa explained her older son, Xavier, had died the previous year. She told Marlene her daughter had been blessed with two baby showers and had more than enough to give to her. She explained her daughter Desiree would bring them by in a few days, and Marlene could come by then and pick them up. Ecstatic with her good fortune, Marlene thanked Clarissa before leaving, feeling a little bit lighter knowing that at least one small portion of her worries was now taken care of. Unbeknownst to Marlene, her parents and siblings were planning a surprise baby shower for her to celebrate the birth of her second child. On April 23, 2019, Marlene dressed Joshua and took him off to daycare before heading to school herself that day. Earlier, she'd received a text from Clarissa letting her know the baby items were ready for her to pick up. After school, Marlene usually left immediately to pick up her son from daycare but on that day, she made a detour to Clarissa's home to pick up the free baby items. Later that same evening, Chicago PD received a frantic 911 call from a woman claiming she'd just given birth in her home and the baby wasn't breathing. The dispatcher struggled to calm her down and finally managed to get her location. When paramedics arrived on the scene, they found a tiny baby boy in obvious distress. Immediately, they began to administer life-saving support measures. The baby and mother were then rushed to Advocate Christ Medical Center in Oaklawn, and the baby was placed in the newborn intensive care unit. The mother identified herself as Clarissa Figueroa. Hospital staff tried to determine how Clarissa was feeling, having just given birth unassisted in her home. She said she felt fine, but as a precaution, hospital staff subjected Clarissa to an examination. Much to their surprise, Clarissa showed no signs of having just delivered a baby. While baffled and a little unsettled, 
the hospital's first priority was to see to the health of the baby, whom Clarissa had named Xander. The premature baby had been denied oxygen for so long, he was considered brain dead. Not too far away, the mood was somber and fearful for Giovanni and Marlene's family. Giovanni had been called to pick up Joshua from daycare after Marlene had failed to show up. Calls to her phone went unanswered, all very out of character for her. The following day on April 24th, Giovanni decided to contact police and reported Marlene missing. Immediately, police were dismissive, telling Giovanni to come back in 72 hours, then suggesting perhaps Giovanni had driven Marlene away with domestic abuse. He was in complete shock. Sure, they had the occasional disagreements, like every other couple, but nothing that had warranted what they were speculating. He was even asked to take a lie detector test, which he did. As days crawled by, with still no word from Marlene, her family grew more and more frustrated with law enforcement. Communication with police had already been difficult, especially since many of Marlene's family spoke very little English. Despite the language barrier, no effort was ever made to send a translator their way to discuss the case. They also received very little in the way of phone calls or updates from police. They had no idea if law enforcement were even looking for Marlene. After two weeks with very little information, detectives finally met with Marlene's family to discuss her disappearance. When detectives arrived to give their update, members of the community had gathered on the street chanting, We want Marlene in Spanish. Marlene's family watched in fear as officers began surrounding the small crowd of chanting neighbors, threatening to arrest them if they didn't leave. Emma Lozano, activist and pastor of Lincoln United Methodist Church, who was also attending the meeting, pleaded in Spanish for the crowd to cease and disperse peacefully, which they did. However, Emma wasn't feeling optimistic about the family situation. She was more than aware of the discrimination that often followed the Latino community and how much harder it was to seek justice for crimes. This is not going to go well for us, she said. We have to get the community involved. And get involved, they did. On May 4th, 12 days after Marlene's disappearance, local residents began gathering in droves, handing out flyers with Marlene's picture and searching everywhere they could for the missing teen. Jacobita Cortez, another pastor from a local church, said, Some detectives said our search as a community was a waste of time. They would say, Marlene is very young, and she must have run off with someone or staying with a girlfriend. The activists searching for Marlene expressed outrage at the handling of the case and that police were relying on Latino stereotypes to determine the cause of her disappearance. Eventually, Marlene's family took matters into their own hands and hired a private investigator who located Marlene's car parked near the home of Clarissa Figueroa. It had been there for two weeks, and the windshield was plastered with parking tickets. On May 7th, detectives also had a new lead when a friend of Marlene's mentioned she planned to visit a woman she'd met on Facebook. The woman's name? Clarissa Figueroa. 
Police then immediately tracked down where the woman lived and went to her house, where a young woman answered, introducing herself as Desiree Figueroa, Clarissa's daughter. As police began questioning Desiree about where her mother was, she explained her mother had just given birth and the baby wasn't doing well. Both her mother and the baby were still at the hospital. When police tried to press Desiree further, she didn't give them much more information. The situation was starting to look dangerously clear, and police grew suspicious of Desiree's story. Around the same time, another lead came in, drawing their attention to an online fundraising campaign posted by Clarissa. The campaign mentioned how gravely ill her newborn baby was, and that $9,000 was needed to cover funeral expenses. Police officers immediately headed to Advocate Christ Hospital, where they found Clarissa. They asked her what she knew about Marlene Ochoa Yurio Stegui Lopez, who they knew had visited her on April 23rd. However, Clarissa claimed she'd been at the hospital with her baby at that time. But police weren't buying her story and subpoenaed for hospital records. Based on their suspicions and a new anonymous tip, advising police to collect DNA samples from Giovanni and Marlene's family, a DNA test on Xander was ordered. Samples were also taken from Clarissa, which didn't match the babies. However, the samples from Giovanni matched flawlessly, revealing Xander to be his and Marlene's baby. Clarissa, her boyfriend Peter, and daughter Desiree were immediately taken into custody and the Ochoa Lopez families were notified to where the baby was. Horrified and relieved, Marlene's family rushed to the hospital to see the baby fighting for his life in the NICU. For the first time, Giovanni met his precious son, a bitter combination of relief and despair welling up inside him as he held his baby carefully. Now came the difficult question. How had Clarissa wound up with Marlene's baby, passing him off as her own? And most importantly, where was Marlene? On May 14th, detectives reached the grisly answers for those questions. Further investigation of the Figueroa home revealed the ghastly discovery of Marlene's remains in a garbage can behind the house. They also found evidence of bloody and burned clothing, pungent cleaning supplies, and a computer cable sitting in the container with her. Marlene had finally been found, but not in a way anyone could have ever imagined. But her family hadn't been notified yet, not until the following day when an officer arrived at their doorstep his face was grim as he watched the family looking expectedly at him, their eyes pleading for him to tell them what he knew. Not able to speak Spanish, he spoke to them two words he did know. Esta Morta. She's dead. Three weeks of hope and anxiety all came crashing down on Marlene's family as those two incomprehensible words rang out in their ears. But no further details were given, not even where she'd been found. Their only true consolation 
was that Marlene's baby had been found, now desperately fighting for his life in the hospital. Giovanni spent as much time as he could by his baby's side, giving him the name Marlene had picked out for him, Giovanni Yadiel Lopez. An autopsy confirmed Marlene's death to be a homicide by strangulation, and that baby Giovanni had been cut out of her womb following her murder. All events seemed to indicate that Clarissa had every intention of raising the baby as her own. On May 16th, two days after Marlene was found, her family made the painstaking and torturous journey to the county morgue to identify her. Her father was so devastated, he required help walking in. Marlene's loved ones braved the horrible experience together, confirming the identity of their beloved girl before leaving the medical examiner's office and addressing the media. Marlene's parents, Arnolfo and Raquel, both made statements through a translator. They came here to give a better life to their daughter. But unfortunately, we know that there is horrible people in this country who have taken away the life of their daughter. A young teenager who had big dreams. Because to lose a child it's one of the biggest pains you can ever go through. Marlene's husband, Giovanni, also spoke, asking for prayers for his son. We ask for all of you to pray for this little angel that's fighting for his life. That he wants to be with his family. We plead to God that He gives us our child. Because that is a blessing that my wife left for us. Outside of Advocate Christ Hospital, Frank Avila, an attorney representing Giovanni Lopez, addressed the media about a new law they hoped to get passed called Marlin's Law. The new legislation would require identification and DNA testing for anyone entering a hospital claiming a newborn as their own. The law would also create a standard procedure to avoid the abduction of children, much like what happened to baby Ovani. Uh, we do believe there's questions that still need to be answered by the hospital. We are concerned why between April 23rd and May 9th that this fake murderous mother and her family were there with this child and including making uh, healthcare decisions about this child. When the mother came in, she had blood on her upper body, but none on her lower body. Now, of course, the hospital did say, well, she could have changed, but it'd be very unlikely one would give birth and clean up and then change. That doesn't make a lot of sense. And then go to the hospital. The hospital, as of yet, has not changed their policies or procedures, uh, or general orders of ways of dealing with this kind of issue, this kind of crisis. If you do have a fake parent coming in, uh, stealing a baby and uh, then claiming as, it, as it's your own. Uh, we do want the public and the media to support Marlene's law, which would require DNA testing, and we hope that it indeed becomes law. Giovanni also addressed the media once again, 
providing a brief update on the health of his son. His statement was translated by family advocate Julie Contreras, representing the League of United Latin American Citizens. Ah, uh, pues yo le doy principalmente gracias a todo el pueblo que ha estado orando por nosotros. I want to thank all the people who have been praying for us. Ah, uh, pues gracias a sus oraciones, mi hijo ya tiene un poquito más de salud. Thank you for all the prayers for my son. It seems like he has a little better health. Y esperemos que con todas sus oraciones que nos ayuden uh, y que nos sigan ayudando que él se siga recuperando de la misma manera que él lo está haciendo ahorita. I'm hoping that with all those prayers that you're giving, lifting him in, that he is going to continue to get a little bit better every day. As Giovanni's attorney worked hard to bring changes to hospital protocol, police were busy arresting and interrogating Clarissa, her boyfriend Peter, and her daughter Desiree. We're here to announce that three individuals have been charged with the brutal murder of missing 19-year-old Marlon Ochoa. On the 7th of May, CPD received a break in the missing person investigation and learned that Miss Ochoa was in communication with one of the offenders, which brought us to the area of 77th and Pulaski. I'm sad to report that on the 14th of May, detectives executed a search warrant and our investigation took a terrible turn. Detectives finally located the remains of a female in a trash can that were later verified to be 19-year-old mother to be Marlon Ochoa. Clarissa, her daughter, and boyfriend were all held on multiple charges of infant battery, endangerment, aggravated murder, as well as concealment of a body, all of which they vehemently denied. The longer the investigation into the horrific case went on, the more details began to pour free about Clarissa's past and why she may have been driven to do something so heinous. Could Marlene's murder have been spurred by the death of Clarissa's adult son? No one could know for sure. But friends and neighbors began coming forward with stories of Clarissa's behavior leading up to the murder. According to family and friends, Earlier the previous year, Clarissa had announced she was pregnant, which shocked everyone. They'd all been told she had a tubal ligation several years prior. One neighbor mentioned how Clarissa had gushed on and on about her miracle baby, all the while continuing to smoke and drink regularly. She even set up a crib and baby room in her home, posting it on Facebook with the words, Baby Xander's crib is all set up. Now we're just waiting for your arrival. By December, she'd even procured an ultrasound picture with a baby she was supposedly carrying and posted it to Facebook as well. The same neighbor also stated she'd seen Clarissa on the same day Marlene had gone missing. Clarissa was sitting on her porch, cradling a baby in a towel. She told the neighbor that she just stood up and the baby came out. There was blood on her hand and her shirt, but none on her shorts. After the ambulance had taken Clarissa and the baby away, she kept calling neighbors trying to find someone to go lock up her house for her. More confirmation of her strange behavior came from the members of the Facebook group she belonged to, the same Facebook group Marlene had joined. Women in the group had remembered earlier posts from Clarissa about having her fallopian tubes tied to prevent future pregnancies, which only further raised suspicion when she suddenly began posting she was pregnant. 
In March, Clarissa began posting in the group again, this time asking who in the group was due in May. That's when she began interacting with Marlene, a conversation that ultimately lured Marlene to her death. Clarissa, her boyfriend Peter, and daughter Desiree were held at Cook County without bail. All three pled not guilty to the charges heaped against them. Desiree, four months pregnant herself, was kept under medical watch. Baby Giovanni fought hard for nearly three months, following being heartlessly cut from his mother's womb. Tragically, he passed away in June as his 20-year-old father lovingly held him in his arms. Baby Giovanni's passing added another murder charge onto the plethora of existing charges against Clarissa and her family. Their preliminary trial was overseen by Judge Susanna Ortez, who called the case brutal and heinous and withheld the possibility of bond for all three involved. After the hearing, Advocate Julie Contreras addressed the media on behalf of Marlene's husband, Giovanni. I'm going to speak in English first. Uh, my name is Julie Contreras. I'm with the League of United Latin American Citizens. Today we were in court advocating on behalf of Giovanni Lopez, the husband of murder victim Marlene Ochoa Lopez, and of his tiny infant son, who just barely left this earth a week ago. Today we did not hear charges placed on these criminals for the death of this infant child. And I can tell you that for decades I've been working in the struggle, seeing many cases, but I have never ever experienced what I experienced when I seen a young father, a 20-year-old father who just lost his wife to a brutal murder, hold his infant son in his arms as he crossed from this life to the next because of injuries on his brain that were inflicted upon him by Desiree Figueroa, by Clarissa Figueroa, and assisted by Peter Bobak. I have never heard the sounds come out of a human being that I heard out of Giovanni Lopez. Today in the court, we heard the attorney of Desiree Figueroa enter a motion to place a gag order on our freedom of speech. I am not a politician. I am not an attorney. I am an ordinary citizen who stands up for the civil rights of those in crisis. And we believe in due process and a judicial system. But for the life of me, I cannot wrap my head around this system for these three criminals who brutally murdered Marlene and brutally murdered her infant son, who suffered not one day, not two days, not three days, but months in agony with machines down his throat and needles all over his tiny body because he was born into violence. And I want the Cook County State's Attorney to know and the judge that if there is no justice for this family, there will be no peace. And we, this is the United States of America in the year 2019. There is a constitution that provides us with freedom of speech, and we will exercise that right. After being arrested, Desiree gave a full videotaped confession in which she described her mother's obsession with finding a newborn baby to back up her year-long facade. On April 1st, 
2019, Clarissa told Desiree she needed her help to murder a pregnant woman so she could take her baby. Desiree agreed. But when Marlene arrived on her first visit, their plan was foiled when Desiree's boyfriend stopped them and threatened to call police. After Marlene left unharmed and unaware of their plan, Clarissa told Desiree's boyfriend it was just an April Fool's joke and they had no intention of really killing her. On April 23rd, when Marlene returned to Clarissa's home to pick up the baby items, Desiree distracted her with a family photo album. Clarissa then came up behind her and began strangling her with a cable. When Marlene started to fight back, she managed to get her fingers in between the cable and her neck. That's when Clarissa yelled at her daughter to do her effing job. So Desiree pinned Marlene's hands down while Clarissa climbed on top of Marlene to finish what she started. Only after Marlene stopped moving did Clarissa initiate the second part of her gruesome plan. She cut the baby from his mother, and then her boyfriend and Desiree wrapped Marlene's body up in a plastic bag, later dumping her in the trash can out back. Sadly, the violent means of his removal denied baby Giovanni of the vital oxygen he needed. His ensuing struggles had thrown a monkey wrench into their plan, and his ultimate identification at the hospital helped bring his mother's killers to justice. On November 1st, 2019, while awaiting trial and sentencing, Desiree gave birth to her own child in a prison hospital. The weight and severity of the charges against Desiree prohibited her from seeing her baby. As of late 2020, Clarissa, Desiree, and Peter are still awaiting formal sentencing in Chicago. Given the vicious nature of their crimes and the tragic loss of two lives, Marlene's family hopes and prays they'll never be released. When their case finally does go to trial, the murderers can expect to serve anywhere between 6 to 30 years for the type of heinous crimes they committed. In the wake of such a tragedy, Marlene's family's only comfort comes from awaiting the final sentencing, their faith in God and each other. As Clarissa and her family awaited their sentences in jail, Marlene's loved ones were left with the difficult task of trying to piece their lives back together. Giovanni was now left with a four-year-old son who had no mother. Marlene's family endured further hardship after a $300,000 hospital bill was issued to them in the Figueroa name for the treatment and care of baby Giovanni. Giovanni was devastated when he received the charges and Marlene's family was outraged at the ostensible insult heaped on injury. Giovanni's lawyer Frank Alvala shared this sentiment claiming this proved the negligence of the hospital, which failed to alert authorities as soon as they realized baby Giovanni was not Clarissa's baby. He said, We don't have the medical records, and my client is getting bills for hundreds of thousands of dollars from the hospital that has the Figueroa name on it, and that's atrocious. 
he threatened a lawsuit against the hospital for the grave error, resulting in members of the hospital executive committee getting in touch with the family, claiming there'd been a clerical error and that the bill wasn't meant to be delivered to them. A formal apology was later extended to Giovanni, and the bill was rescinded. Marlene's loved ones could now focus entirely on grieving for their immense loss. Marlene had always dreamed of meeting her grandparents face to face and had promised them over the phone that one day she'd accomplish that dream. But sadly, Marlene was never granted that wish. It was only after her death that Marlene's grandparents were extended a 20-day humanitarian pass to come up to the States for her funeral. Domingo Garcia, head of the LULAC National Immigration Committee, sponsored their flight, where they were greeted by tearful family. Julie Contreras called it a bittersweet reunion. It had been 20 years since they'd seen one another. Marlene's grandparents shared, It's very painful, especially being so far away. It hurts us profoundly that we lost our granddaughter. We have come here to give our final goodbye. Surrounded by family and friends, Marlene and baby Giovanni were tearfully laid to rest on July 24, 2019. In Pilsen, Chicago, a mural bearing Marlene's image was painted in May of 2019 by local artist Milton Coronado as a tribute to her life. When baby Giovanni passed away later on June 14th, Coronado went back and resumed his work on the mural, adding the infant's image to the right of his mother, the sleeping baby swaddled in the arms of Jesus, finally at peace. One year after Marlene and her son's horrific murders, the community gathered once again to honor them. Due to restrictions from COVID-19, the candlelight vigil was held virtually, but no less love and support than in person. Despite any frustrations Marlene's family had felt towards Chicago PD, following the vigil, they delivered meals to police. Though those who came together to honor Marlene and baby Giovanni were separated by screens, they will forever be closely tied in spirit and through the bond that transcends the bounds of physical form. It's time to say our goodbyes. I don't want to. I don't want to. I saw your name in the sky. Now it's faded. But you're
The Minds of Madness can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and all other podcast platforms. Ad-free episodes of this show are available on Stitcher Premium. If you would like to support this show and get some extra perks, including extra content, early release, and ad-free episodes, go to patreon.com slash madnesspod. You can find our website by going to mindsofmadnesspodcast.com. To find us on Facebook and Instagram, search The Minds of Madness. And on Twitter, using the handle at madnesspod. And finally, the closing track, Feel the Madness, is provided by The Funkors. You can find them at the record label's website by going to goldenerrorrecords.com.au slash G-E. I'm standing at my door I hope they can't get in cause